Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Bibliotheques and Discussion. Tonight, I am got the pleasure of being joined by Edinburgh-based photographer Bruce Percy. Good evening, Bruce. Uh, good evening, Ewan. Welcome along. This is obviously your your second appearance in the podcast, but your first fo- solo venture after uh, we had a discussion with uh, Darren on your last book, Halendi. Um, but which I've probably pronounced it wrongly again. Um, but today we're obviously here to discuss your recent book, The Sound of Snow. Mm. Um, so before we get on to discussing your book, um, it would be great for those of you who don't know your work, um, if you can maybe give us a, a brief introduction to you yourselves. Oh, where do you start? Uh, yeah, that's that's very hard to define you. And thanks for putting me right on the spot there. Uh, oh, um, I started as an amateur, keen amateur photographer about 20 years ago. 10 years ago, I started running workshops. Yep. Um, my photography at the time was probably, I would say, influenced quite heavily by uh, Gail and Raoul, uh, very strong colours, um, yep. very dramatic scenery that I was uh, attracted to. And for some unknown, unfathomable reason for me, the my photography over the last 10 years has just gotten extremely... Um, I, I hate using the word minimal because minimal suggests that it's got less than what it needs. Yep. And I just think it's, there's been a, a serious distillation in what I do. Yep. And I've always been a Michael Kenna fan. And for a long time, uh, people used to say that, oh, yes, you're kind of like Michael Kenna in color, which is a huge compliment, of course. Um, I can see the influences in it. Similarly, like Michael tells me that um, he's a Bill Brandt fan. And I can see the influences of Bill Brandt in Michael's printing. Yeah. And Michael, uh, from what I know of him anyway, and the conversations I've had with him, he's very in touch with his influences. He understands where he's coming from and where he gets his inspiration from because he's a big fan of like Joseph Sudek and Bill Brandt, Eugene Ajit, um, lots of them. And it's the same for me. I'm very aware of the fact that I'm, really influenced a lot by Michael Kenner, but I'm not interested in going out there to try and try and uh, follow in his footsteps yep. normally. And I say normally because of the subject that we're going to be talking about tonight, because um, even in the conversations I've had, I've, I actually know Michael um, a little. I've, I've spent about three weeks with him in total or met him about three or four times now. And um in the conversations I've had with him, I stopped thinking I was so similar to him because I found out that he takes photographs very differently from me, and he yeah. actually uses things like lots of flash. Believe it or not, you wouldn't right. you wouldn't you wouldn't know that from looking at the pictures. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So I, I even when I've been talking to him for years, I, I always felt that well, I, I never go and photograph the same places he photographs. Yeah. Although although there's much value in that. And, um, and obviously the, the, this book is a bit of an exception really. So, so I, I think that's the only way I can sort of sum up yeah. what I do. Um, yeah. I'm a film shooter, 100% film. Yes. I'm not interested in shooting digitally. Um, I'm quite happy if anybody else does want to, it's not that, um, there's any kind of good or bad reason for it. It's just, I'm an oldie. I'm old school. As some people say, I'm now in my mid fifties and I've been shooting films since the eighties. Yeah. And I just, I like it. I'm very comfortable with it. I know how it all works, the medium. And I like the whole process of it. So that's why when anybody asks me, why haven't I gone digital or whatever, is I've just seen I'm still happy exploring yep. the, the medium of film. 
so I, I think that's roughly it. Excellent. Yeah, that all sounds it all sounds pretty good. Um, but yeah, as, as you say, this book is maybe I suppose an exception when you talk about influences. Um, obviously, we're talking about yeah, the, well, the sound of snow. Yes, well, I, 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 what I was really trying to mean by that was that in general, I don't. I've kind of almost had a sort of perverse interest and in tried not to go to places that anybody yes. else goes to. Yeah. Um, until they get really popular, and then I stop yeah. going to them usually. And yeah try and find something new and but similarly with michael's work I, I wasn't interested in going down to photograph the same places that he photographs absolutely and it was only really um the getting a surprise email from him in 2015 i believe it was and i will quote the text he said uh, i'm thinking of coming to scotland to do some snapping are you around and i didn't know if that was was he inviting me am i going to hang out with them or am I just around to give him some advice? I didn't know. And uh, when I was with him, we got onto the subject about Hokkaido and he, he talked a lot in the car with me about that. And he said to me, you know, there's some parts of Hokkaido you go to now where the farmers are actually putting fence posts up or signs at the end of the field to say, do not walk onto the field because everybody's trying to go and get the same Michael Kenner trees. Yeah. And one or two of them have actually been deliberately now cut down for yeah. that whole reason. Um, and it was just that conversation with them. I'd always secretly wanted to go to, to Hokkaido. <laughs> and so I, so he, he gave me his guide's details. So I ended up going. And it's, I've got another friend of mine from um, the Czech Republic, uh, Marek. And Marek was saying to me two weeks ago, he said, I, I, heard, I heard your guide, Bruce. And I went there and he's got a spare set of clothing for Michael. If Michael turns up and he's not got any gear, like if his luggage has been delayed, it, there's some um, set, yeah. he's got a whole set, you know, and he just said to me, you know, it's so weird when you're going around Hokkaido in the winter time, it's Michael Kenner's everywhere. It's yeah. so difficult to get away from him. Yeah. When you, when you go and look at everything, it's just like, so I did feel like you're kind of following in the footsteps a bit. Although I was deliberately trying not to make, or go to the same locations that he's he's shot, uh, yeah. bar one, I think the Christmas tree. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> NBA. Um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, sorry, I've but, gone off a tangent again. No, not at all, but yeah, I, I know exactly, I know exactly what you mean. It's, uh, it's been, I suppose for you, it, it, it's been a, a long period of time you've been going over to Hokkaido now shooting it year after year after year you'll you'll have explored quite a number of different locations now um I've spent a day with the with the same guide that uh, that you have and he has showed me his, his road atlas which has little uh, b's and m's <laughs> marked all over it and as he explained to me yeah, those are Michael's trees and those are Bruce's trees and you know that is just littered all over the place. I, I have to say, I was quite honoured when I was sitting in the car with him, and he 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 got the book out uh, very unconsciously, uh, very unselfconsciously. I mean, uh, he got the book out just to take a note of the place I'd been to with him, and you could see it. And I thought, my God, I just never ever thought that I'd have my initials in the same, you know, be, being re referred to the same way, uh, you know, as Michael Kenner's, and. Uh, uh, so so that's really weird and and just to get back to that thing about it has been uh, six, well this year will be six years now since I started going to Hokkaido and I just want to say it's just not what you think it's going to be and I learned so much about Michael's photography just by going to Hokkaido because 
I just thought I was going to get off the plane and it was going to be full of all these kind of blissful snowfields with these beautiful lone trees and it would all be very easy to find and the weather would yeah. cooperate. It would be all this kind of ethereal, closed-in, um, uh, you know, kind of foggy, inclement weather. And you find out that usually probably you get two days out of seven where you, where it's like that and the rest yeah. of the time it's just bright bright blue sunshine blue skies and sunshine and it's a really complex landscape it's there's um there's so much machinery around there's telegraph poles there's signs of human intervention everywhere i i a bit like south korea there's not really much of a concept of nature yeah. in hokkaido apart from bar you know akan national park and yeah. around lake kushiro and uh, so that was a bit of an eye opener to me. And I realized that those shots that Michael had taken were extremely very select ones. Yeah. And they've, there's, it's more, there's, they say more about what he's left out of the frame than what's been put in it. Yeah. And so the first time I went, I just went cursory, you know, just to, I just wanted to go. And, and when I, when I, I remember coming home and just thinking, man, that was tough. I don't know if, I don't know if I could go back again. And, but the thing is, I tend to find Japan in general is fairly addictive. Like you, 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 you're like that. You like Japan. It's my it's my favorite country to visit. Yeah. On, on. And it's, it's I could go year after year after year, and even just sit and ride the bullet trains around Japan. It's just fa- fascinating from that point of view. Yeah. See, I I think that Japan is quite addictive to a lot of people, and it's it's everything. It's the food. It's the culture. Yeah. Um, there's just something. There's there's some there's like some sort of feeling there when you're there. Yeah. And uh, so it was one of those things that I got one or two shots out of the first trip where I thought, yeah, I really like these. And but it's in my view, it's a bit like my pan mining for gold yeah. is that you get one or two nuggets every now and again. And so in order to do a book on it or even to want to continue going back there, you have to accept that there's probably going to be a lot of a lot of wasted time and a lot of failed photographs before you and a lot yeah. of driving around to try and find the things you want. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's a it's a huge area as well. Hokkaido is absolutely enormous in terms of in terms of the scale for for getting about. People think it's maybe a small island, but it's it, you're covering vast vast distances. Well, absolutely. And there's something weird about this. Islands, for some reason, encourage people to think that they can do an island in two weeks because yeah. everybody seems to think that about Iceland, yeah, as well, and the north of Scotland, uh, Scotland yeah. in general. A lot of people who come to Scotland probably think that they can probably do Scotland in two weeks. Yeah. And, and it's the same with Iceland for some reason. And I think Hokkaido kind of gives you that sort of mindset too. Yeah. And, you know, well, yes, you can do it in two weeks, but you, you'd have to really know where you're going to go. And the, the thing I was trying to cover in the book as well was that some of the locations only worked because the, the light and the weather cooperated that day. Yes. Um, you know, so this idea of like looking at a certain location and saying this is a magic spot, let's come back here another day, not guaranteed to give you anything the next next year that you went back. Yeah. But yeah. I like the blue pond, that famous blue pond. If you I don't know if it's still available on the the Apple desktop, but there's one of the desktop screensavers from a couple of OSs ago where you've got this kind of bright blue pond with the black tree trees reflecting in it. Yes. And that's yep. the blue pond in, in BA. Yeah. And the t- the first time I ever went there, it was incredibly fogged in. Yeah. And the and my guide, you know, Tuoshi, yes. as you know him. Yeah. Uh, he stood. He looked at me and he said, "I have never seen it like this." And and I just 
because you you have no reference point you think mm. oh well i'll just yeah i said to him it's, it's so beautiful can we come back tomorrow morning and he said well yes you can he said but you know the weather is going to be clear tonight yeah i think all the fog will be gone tomorrow i didn't believe him and the next morning we went along and I didn't even take the camera at the back. There was, there was nothing of any merit <laughs> for me to, to, to work with yeah. compared to the previous evening. It was just yeah. like, well, I, I got it yesterday. And, and ever since that, we've tried to go back with groups when we run workshops there yeah. and we never, it just lacks any atmosphere. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I think Hokkaido is a very difficult place. And um, my, my, my theory about photography anyway is it's a bit like accumulating interest in the bank. Yeah. You Every year you go back, you maybe get another two or three images that you're really happy with. And, yeah. and I fully understand and fully accept that I'm in an extremely privileged position that I get to go back every year because for yeah. a lot of people, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah, it's well, if for me, I, I've spent I've spent a few days in Hokkaido and I spent one day doing photography and um, having followed your work, Michael Kenna's and everyone else's. Um, certainly for me, it was it was just that stepping out of a, of stepping out of the car for the first time when you can actually when you can actually visualize and it wasn't probably necessarily a, a, a shot from anyone's books, but it was just the beautiful white fields a nice row of trees in the distance and it was just adrenaline and to be honest I could have taken no pictures whatsoever but just to actually have stood there just made made the trip it was just it was just it's such a beautiful landscape and it was just wonderful to see um and then yeah being able to appreciate it in in, in books is for for 99.9 percent .9 of the people is the closest they will ever get to going to to Hokkaido mm. um, I, I think I think uh uh I have a bit of a problem saying that some of the places in in ice in um, Hokkaido are landscape in the way because yeah. I think most of the people who are probably listening to this podcast or audio uh, thing transcript will 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 imagine when you're talking about landscape that it's like a traditional landscape with rolling hills and a mountain yeah. and a yeah. river, but in Japan a landscape means it's one part of the the land that hasn't been turned into buildings, yes. hasn't been turned into machinery yes. of some kind, and is probably a, far, a farm field with a couple of very strategically placed trees that have probably been put up to put some kind of a fortification or barrier against the, the snow in place. Yep. So yep. It, it's all been done for very, very practical reasons. Yeah. So uh, that's the majority of it. I wouldn't say all of it's like that because... Yep. Um, probably my favorite i don't know if you went there but um when you go to around lake kushiro it's my that's my favorite place yeah it's just so beautiful there and there's a lovely video of michael of michael kenna um in hokkaido and he goes to lake kushiro and there's the hooper swans in the lot in the i was gonna say loch the the <laughs> lake and um because uh, I'm talking to Anita Scott, you know, so I can uh, revert back to yeah. Slip of you know, what a lake really is in Scotland. You Indeed. don't have lakes in Scotland, we have, we have locks. Okay. And uh, um, it's very atmospheric there. It's just such a beautiful place and it does feel more nature. But I mean, it's the funny thing, where that famous tree is that Michael shot, that's actually a campsite. Right. And uh, I think if you went back in the summer, you'd be quite shocked at how domesticated the landscape is there it's yeah. it's not a nature landscape in general yes there are national parks but probably most of the places that i photographed um they're probably the back of somebody's some farmer's field yeah where we've had to actually ask for permission to go in yeah absolutely 
So yeah. obviously you you've been you you've you've been photographing Hokkaido now for quite some time. Has this book been a long time in the planning? Was was it something you had originally set out as being a possibility maybe after a couple of visits? Yeah, I think after you you sort of you you get you get a hint. You you start to yep. know there's mileage there in the way that if you keep going back over have you once you've done one or two trips, you kind of know, yes, I've got a set of pictures here. And I really like these. Yep. Ho- hopefully there might be a book out of this, but that, I just want to stress that that doesn't, it's not that you start taking the pictures for the book. Yeah. It's you just carry on just making the pictures with no, and you make sure that you don't have an agenda in mind Yeah. to try and sort of go and look for particular photographs that are going to fit yeah. Um, a theme or anything. I just much rather go back every year, make the pictures I make, see what I see what comes out because every time I go back every year, it's always different in some way. There's and we often frequent some of the same places, but we get different light, uh, a different a different atmosphere, and I'm probably looking for different things anyway. In terms yeah. of when I come home and I respond to the pictures, yeah. I I've I've tried to make a point of this actually last week on the workshop I was running. Uh, I had a few people asking me how much of what I do is pre-visualization and I said none of it yeah uh, I really like the idea of just going somewhere and just responding or you're driving along and I was talking to Alistair Ben a couple of weeks ago and I just said to him that uh, he said when do you photograph things or what do you how do you what do you what's the what's the criteria to make you decide and I just said I don't know what I'm looking for until I see it yeah yeah. And that's the same, that's the same thing with Hokkaido. It's like we're just moving along. And sometimes the things that maybe you've mapped out to take your clients to if you're running a workshop, they don't even work that day. And you actually find that when you go back to the hotel that night, that some of the places you stopped at were complete arbitrary, yeah. something mag- magical happening at that moment. And we all just stopped the car in the middle of a motorway or something just to get out into a particular field for something special happening, knowing that it'll never repeat ever again. So you have this thing that every year it's just organically, you're just, you're just adding interest compound interest to the bank in the way that you know that you're slowly building up a story. Yes. And, and then I think after maybe five or five years or so, you kind of, you're pretty sure that you've, you've got enough material now to sort of cover a book on it. Whether you're finished with Hokkaido is another matter, of course. Absolutely, yep. Um, but I personally do like that idea about when you're doing a book, it's almost it's almost a way of just drawing a line under some work. And w- whether it means that you're just never going to go back to Hokkaido or not might be, that that's maybe not the issue for me, but it's probably more in terms of um, emotionally kind of uh, offloading this old work. Yes, yeah. Yeah, you know, so you you can yeah. now say it's done, it's done, it's been published, and uh, I can maybe just every time I go back to Cairo now, I can relax and think maybe there's a new chapter or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. about that. I, I take take a different approach, or yeah, you yeah. you continue yeah. continue to see different things. Yes, exactly. So, so just to get back to the whole conceptual thing, uh, Darren and myself, who, as you know, Darren and myself yeah. design design the books, and so I've got this friend uh, down in Nottingham. For those that don't know. And Darren's a very keen and quite proficient photographer in his own right. But he also, yeah, he also has a, he's a graphic artist and he's got a great eye for design. And he's one of the first people that uh, I ever met that took me seriously and said, oh, you're wasted in IT. Uh, I I made the mistake of actually listening to him. Uh, 
I make that as a joke, but I also I'm kind of half serious about that because I think anybody, when you start making some nice pictures, usually all their family and friends start telling them that they should give up the day job and make it go pro. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, and I have to say there's 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 pros and cons about this. It's it's not the dream job you might think it is. And in some respects, just doing what you love as a passion and making sure that that's something you can keep as a passion and not think of it as a working job is, is a beneficial thing too. But anyway, the, the, the deed was done. I went, I went full-time with this 10 years ago and uh, I, I just now see this whole thing as my sort of vocation. That's just what I was, I think I was meant to do this. Yeah. And I was, um, and the idea of publishing books every year or two, it's they're, they're for me the most important project most important project i'm doing yeah uh in terms of like business or making an income they're probably one of the 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 most time consuming least profit earning trips things that you can do yes yeah but but they're just such uh they're in terms of just being a, a photographer and trying to convey to other people that you're that you're quite serious about what you're doing um they're designing books and publishing them are absolutely paramount and Darren and myself came up with a roadmap for this about four years ago we decided that we were gonna we we're gonna do the Altoplano book and at the time a lot of the book the, the when we finally got around to publishing the Altoplano book some of the images in that book are already 10 years old yeah and then with with the Hallendi book, which is all about the interior of Iceland, which isn't the place that's so photographed. Yeah, we we knew we were going to do that book about three years ago, and then I said to him, "It's the third one will probably be Hokkaido," but I, and it was only last year I just said to my, I, "I don't want to call it Hokkaido. Please don't let me call it Hokkaido because it's such a boring <laughs> title." And 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 then I, I you know I just this whole serendipity thing. Um, he's probably listened to this podcast right now. But Clive Maidment from North yeah. London, soon soon to be from North Harris, I believe. Yes, yeah. Because uh, he's sold up and he's moving. Um, Clive has quite a relationship with Japan. Yeah. And he, he wrote to me when we were putting the book together and he just said, uh, I think uh, his, his, his ex-wife, who's Japanese, and himself had always discussed things. And they were always saying that, you know, they always thought that, snow has a sort of sound to it yep. um, yeah um and he said we are, i've always liked this title the sound of snow so i just i just ripped it off it. Him. yeah so so i nabbed it i nabbed <laughs> it well you know um you know oh artists beg borrow and steal i think there's an element Absolutely. of that yeah and um but i think it's important to give credit where credit's due so we i made sure that on the introduction of the book um Amy Watanabe, she gets a credit for the the book title. Yep. And then and then Clive gets a, an acknowledgement. Yeah. I think it's really important to just to to understand where you've got these. It's not your own idea. Yep. I didn't make it up. I really liked it. It resonated with me very much, and I also felt that yes, every time I've been there, there's something about that when you're walking in snow, especially on your own. Um, the atmosphere is much more closed in. Yeah. Um. Yep everything's more silent and also i'd like to think the pictures are more quiet as well so yeah um and i, I was just keen to try and break the mold a bit as well by yeah. so I, a one word title yeah and no, i i think i think it's a perfect title for 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 the subject matter that that 
that the book focuses on. I, th- I think it, I think it works far better. Uh, no disrespect to the title of Hokkaido, but I think I think it does work. Uh, mm. It works very nicely with the work um, and with the images I, inside. Ironically, probably might have sold more copies if I'd called it Hokkaido. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think it's a little bit more. Now, I only bring this up just because if you're thinking of designing a book or you're thinking of publishing a book, in some respects, you you can't, you know, you don't want to make it too hard for your audience to understand what the book's about. Yep. And um, that's that's the only thing I've I've come to think about over the last six months about this one because compared to Hokkaido, it, it didn't sell. It didn't sell as well. Yep. And Darren and myself were quite surprised by that because you know obviously. Naturally, I think they're. I think they're, the pictures are really good. Of course, I think that because yeah. of mine. But uh, yeah, so so that's been kind of interesting, and I I think there's lots of different dynamics at play there. With um, if we're going to talk about the mechanics of um, book publishing or whatever, yeah. there's lots of things that go on at play there. First of all, postage costs are getting extremely high now. Yeah, absolutely. People, and people people don't like to pay for postage in general. <clears throat> yeah. And um, I think the title was probably a little bit more tenuous for some people. And probably just about every other photographer that's been stuck in the whole COVID scenario has probably come to the conclusion that they need to publish a book at the moment to try and earn a living. Yeah. So then, as an as a as a as a book buyer, you're certainly spoiled for choice, but it does mean that um, you know you're you're competing with other people to sell your book. Yeah. So I I don't I don't know if that's what 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 the dynamics were with that. Yeah. It's kind of. Probably a combination, a blended combination of everything. Um, I would suspect, but certainly, yeah, postage costs, particularly overseas, are have rapidly increased in the last 12, 18 months. Really, they have absolutely, um, yeah. So, um, and, uh, yeah, but there's something nice about when they send you the advanced copies and you open up the box, yeah, and you take this thing out that up until the time that you you uh, committed to place the order for getting the book printed was just a dream. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really like this whole idea about um, photography in general is that you can, you know, there's some images in that book that they've become, they're part of me They're they're, they're, it's almost as if they always existed. And yet, you know, there was at one point in my life, for most of my life, those photographs didn't exist and they've only become into existence in the last five years or so yep. and they they just seem like well of course they were always there that that's how they feel and and it's the same thing with the book now that the book's here it just feels like well yes the book was always meant to be here it, it, i can't describe it more than that i suppose i don't have children but every time i've asked my friends who do have children i've seen can you imagine a time before your children and they've always said to me things like you know it's always as if like they were they were just standing behind the curtain somewhere and they yeah. were just getting ready to come out, and I think it's the same thing when you when you when you put a concept or an idea or a dream together. Yeah, and that that's what I love about photography and the creative as, as creative arts in general. Anyway, is that you can turn something that's an idea or a dream into something that's real. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. So yeah, talking. I'm I'm keen. To, I was having a, a, another look through the book earlier on this evening, and I'm I'm interested to know maybe a bit in terms of how your approach was. To, to put in together the sequence just for me there, there certainly maybe feels a couple of defined areas when you when you look through the photographs and um, in, in terms of as you're 
your style or your has maybe has maybe a, maybe changed over time. I'm just interested to hear what what your thoughts are or what your approach was. Ah, right, that's a trick question. I'd I'd like to hear your thoughts on this one, you. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not the way the podcast generally works. Um, <laughs> right? Okay. Well, look, I'll I'll, I'll give it. No, no. I'll, I'll, look, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm just joking with you. But I'll, no, no. I don't. I'll, I'll... <laughs> right, well, no, well, I suppose for, from from when I from when I was when I was looking through it, there's there there seems I suppose very much um, the the images are to begin with are are feel much softer, and I don't mean in terms mm. of sharpness, but they, they feel tonally tonally softer. Um, and then towards maybe towards the middle, you, the the trees that you've got a bit of color coming through, much bolder. Um, and there, there's there's areas which uh, remind me, I suppose, quite a, a bit of your Iceland work in terms of in the highlands, in terms of just the the very very minimal, albeit the the trees are far far maybe stronger. But it's it's the, the tone wise relative. But the contrasts to, are yeah, higher. The, the, the contrasts are higher, yeah. and then and then continuing through where maybe the, the 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 latter sections of the images, there's there's maybe a bit more going on by the coastal work. Um, you've got maybe they become more. Around. Yes, they become by the end of it, they become a bit more kind of. Uh, I hate using the word traditional because it sounds slightly disparaging. Yeah. Uh, to other people, and it also sounds like I, I like I seem to think that my images are above traditional or something i don't mean anything about it but just simply they're um they are probably oh i can't even find the right word for this but yes you're of course i'm going to sit here it'd be very lazy of me to say yes you and you're absolutely right that's it done so but the fact of the matter is you've, you've nailed it in one there because um i think probably in terms of personal preference i really like the super super soft ones yep and obviously, when you're putting a book sequence together, you want to try and, in my view, I was thinking, what is the kind of the ultimate way of describing Hokkaido? Which images do you have that you know that if you would, you would probably show everybody first? Yeah. And every photographer out there has probably got, you know, if you said to them, look through your entire collection of photographs and what are your favourites? They probably pick out maybe say, 30, 30 images, but they they know deep down there's about two or three that are just like stand above the rest. Yes, yeah. And that's the same with a book, I suppose. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so you like the the first two that are in the book are very personal favourites. Um, the there's one of just a tree, and there's diagonally you've got the sun. Yes, it's just there on its own because to me that just summed up the first time I was ever there in Hokkaido, I actually had to crawl through a river where it's a dry riverbed with all these dead trees on it that were covered in about two feet of snow. And I had to crawl over this thing to try and get to that tree on the side of a hill. Yeah. And just as I was setting up to take the picture, the sun just came out behind the clouds a little bit. And what I love about Hokkaido is that you can actually shoot the sun sometimes because usually sometimes there's not usually, but sometimes there's so much snow cover in the in the sky that the sun you can actually stare at it with your naked eye and not hurt your eyes. Yeah. And so you end up getting this perfect disc. And it just came out at that time when I just went to make the picture. And it just that that moment has been etched in my mind ever since the very first time yeah. I went to Cairo. So to me, that just summed up the whole the simplification I was looking for or the 
this this kind of um, ultimate statement, if you like, and yeah. So so that's the first one in the book. Then there's the painted maple tree that's yes. outside of Lake Kushiro, which is now turning into a bit of an icon in its own right. Everybody that goes to Kushiro trying to get the Kenna tree and not realizing that it died many years ago or got pulled down by a farmer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably one that people, are, everybody else tries, everybody gravitate, gravitates towards. But it's not so straightforward to shoot it. There's a lot of stuff in the background. And depending on where you are in that lake, it depends what's going on with the weather. Um, if you get a lot of a bit of a snowstorm coming in, you can obliterate the background and you can get this the shot that I've got actually. Yeah. Um, there's a little island in the middle of Kushiro, and it's actually just poking out in this picture too. Um and I remember when I took it, I just was just in the right place at the right time. And I was there, there with a group, and uh, they were all standing, I didn't know they were standing right behind me. When I was taking it, I was actually lying down on the floor on the ground. Right. <laughs> and uh, just as I took it, I turned around and they were all standing looking at me because the conditions had just gotten into such a state where there was like a slightly warmish, reddish sunrise coming through the clouds, but it had that sort of brownish, golden, brownie, goldy color coming through. Yeah. It was ever subtle, ever so subtle. And I just snapped this and I just knew, oh, I did this is great. I turned around and they're all looking at me like, Wow, you jammy so and so, and and that—that's exactly how I felt about it. So, so that was second, the second image in the book. Yeah, and I felt that they required a little bit of short text as well. Just keep it short. Yeah, kind of describing. Uh, every time I go back to Hokkaido every year, um, that tree is always there, and it, I know it's been sitting at the side of that lake for every year through yep. all the different seasons. And then we get four seasons later, I come back again and, and it's yep. still there. Yep. So I really liked all that. And yep. and so then absolutely right. I, I went into all the kind of the super soft ethereal stuff at the beginning. And then when you look through your body of work, you realize that some of them have got harder tones in them. So some of yep. the, the images in the middle, like you said, they've got the trees are more stark, they're more dark, yep. black. I tend to find that when you edit images a year apart, you're just a different person from the year you were absolutely from, yeah. from the, from you were from who you were the year before. And uh, I, I don't know if that's got something to do with how much coffee I'm drinking when I'm editing or um, how much wine I've been drinking or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and then I also felt that I had these other ones where there's much more darker tones and the Hokkaido can sometimes be quite dark and uh, predominantly dark tones so they're kind of bunched up at the end yep. of the book and it's important to me to make sure that nothing jars when you're walking through it that you don't just go from like a super bright snow scene to like a really dark lake or something and I suppose there's no right or wrong about that because tension and conflict are actually just as valuable as uh, calmness and sereneness and for some reason, all photographers always seem to be looking for things that are pleasing and calm. Yeah. But but there's just as much validity in having uh, deliberately fractious uh, pictures, or maybe even a, a a kind of an abrupt change or something in a book. Yeah. I, I just haven't got there with that, and certainly with when I'm sequencing out, yes, that I I I did section them, but 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 it, it was actually more than that. Um. Sometimes what you would find out there's like there were certain images that were like a perfect pair. Yeah. Yep. Worked so well you'll actually it. find that when you look at some of the pages, that it's almost like they're like twins. Yes. Yep. And it's usually just the tonal response. It's something about the light and the way the colors and the, sh and the shadows 
or the lack of contrast perhaps that make them sit together better yeah. and so putting them putting them on the same on 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 opposite pages is, is very important yeah but no and i i i i think that it's it's a it's an incredible body of work it's great to see it's great to see your 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 work from Hokkaido in in print it's uh, it's obviously I know some of your images are featured in your was it in some of your previous books but it's, yeah it's, in the color chrome one yeah in the color yeah. chrome one but it's really nice it's really nice to see the culmination of five years worth or however many years worth of photography I suppose I suppose I suppose that's it really because when you you get to it you're when you the color chrome thing was a little bit of a sort of best off thing and yeah. yeah. Um, so everybody gets a little snippet of you know this one or two images from Hokkaido that were actually in print. Now you can actually get the book, and there they are in print. Yeah. But for me, I'm sort of going. I just want I want to see them all in print, and I want to see the I want to see the whole conceptual thing as well, where there's yeah, because it's very interesting putting. I don't know if I told you about the, uh, um, maybe I don't know if anybody else has explained this to you, but the way the the printing process process tends to happen is that. At some point, they send you the signatures, and uh, I don't know if anybody knows what the signatures are, but when you look at the side of a book and you look at the binding of it, you'll see that the book seems to be made up from tons of mini books that have all been glued into a spine. And so each of those little mini books, that's what they call in technical terms in the printing. Pro now, I sound like I'm an absolute expert here, but it's about the only thing I know, really. Um, it's uh, They call them signatures, and... So at some point they send you uh, when you arrange to to do the book. Yeah. The first thing they do is they send you a blank book, showing you the paper stock you've chosen, the cloth you've chosen, yep. the size of the book, and the weight of the book. So you can actually you've got this kind of solid object that yep. you can feel the weight Physical. of it. But yeah. yes, but nothing's printed on it. It's just yep. blank. The whole yep. thing's completely empty. And so that's the first step in kind of visualizing the book. The next step that happens is that uh, if you've got a dust jacket, they'll send you the dust jacket. So the first book I ever did, I was busy trying to wrap around this dust jacket around this empty book yeah. to, to, to get a perception of just what this final thing's going to be like. Yep. And, um, and that's all very fine and well. And I've now noticed that the thing that I find, um, I usually go through a bit of a, a confidence crisis when they send me the signatures, which is basically just the binding, yep. the, inter the internal pages. Yes. They, they send you the internal pages all on their own, without the cloth, without the, the binding, anything. Yep. And the, the, or the, I think it's just about every book we've done. As soon as I see them, I just think to myself, is, is this it? Yeah. I'm never that impressed. But the weird thing is, Every time when the book finally turns up, it's the same internal pages, but it's now got a bound cover yes. with a title on it, or maybe a, maybe a dust jacket on it, or a slipcase. Yep. All of a sudden, it just clicks into place, and all of a sudden, everything just feels validated. Yeah. And yep. and I can't I, I can't explain it. And I suppose the best analogy I would have for that is, um, being very pleased with a photograph, but you've not printed it yet. When you print it. That's one step better. Yeah. When you mat it, that's a step better again. Yeah. Uh, when you frame it, even better. Yeah. And when you put it on a wall, that yeah, that's just something else altogether. You're just slowly the whole thing is slowly moving up a notch every time. Yeah. And it's the same with the printing process. It's it's so it's so easy over the, the two or three months that you're working through this and they're sending you stuff to review and sign off. 
that you can you can start to doubt what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. I, I can I can I can I can only imagine having never done it myself. But yes, as I think as you see, when when all the pieces come come together at the end, that's when you can actually see, right? Yeah, the the finished product that you've been you've been working and dreaming about, and yeah, it's it's only at that stage yeah, that you really definitely. you really appreciate and and fully fully can accept and 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 see the the concept. Yes, I also think that you're probably going to have um, a bit of distance to it as well. I'm still curious about. You know, the first book I ever did was in 2010. Yeah. And uh, my photography's moved on quite some yep. quite some ways since since then. Um, so I, I think in some ways you can look back at your your earlier work and uh, um, you might you might think that some of it just feels like it's not relevant anymore. Yep. But certainly certainly in terms of like the book design or the book produ- production that should be a different thing. You should be able to still look at the thing and say, yeah, we got it right, which is how I feel yes. about yep. the, fir- the first two books. And so I'm very aware of the fact that Helendi last year and also The Sound of Snow right now, they're still very, very fresh for me. Yeah, um, I feel that they're the right thing at the moment. And uh, But I'm just curious as your relationship with the book doesn't just end as soon as you p- print it. That's all I'm trying to say, I think. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and do you think you've got any plans for future books or now that you've as, No, no, I'm completely done now. I'm just never gonna, sorry, yeah. I'm being I'm being, I'm being call, no. call, call, calling it quits. Yeah, quite quite what would you say if I said yeah, quite right as well. I, I, I think, <laughs> to be honest, I, th- I think that's a good shout, Bruce. Sorry, I'm you sorry, and, I'm being, you, and I'm Darren, being... You, you and Darren have reached the end of the line. You've had well, a good I'm, run and well done. I'm I'm being a bit sort of a deliberately stupid about this one yep. because I, I actually have thought about it to be honest sometimes yep. i just thought I, I i went through periods this summer where i thought i don't know if i ever want to do another book yep. um because there's so much stress involved in it getting yep. everything right and uh certain things can go wrong in the production process yep. and yeah there's all these sorts of things and the money money it costs to print one and um I, I suppose at the moment, I just feel that we've done two books in a row, one book every year for the last two years. I just want to give it a break. Yeah. And But, but the other aspect of it as well is that, you know, we'd had this little pipeline for the last five years of doing um, actually four books, including the Colour Chrome book. And I feel that all these books now are kind of really up to date now with, I've kind of mined my, my archive, if you like, of work, because yeah. I, I think I've got quite a lot of a lot of material that had that hadn't been printed, um, so I knew for a long time that I, you know, well, that there's a lot of room there to do a Hokkaido book. There's a lot of room to do an interior of Iceland book. Yeah, a lot of room to do Altiplano, and that's all gone now. So there's lots of small little things that I've got, yep. and uh, things that have never been published. Um, going to Cappadocia and Turkey. Um, I'm trying to think now, but I'm sure there's other ones. But there's there's definitely other ones. And I was putting a list together this summer and I realized, well, either the next book I'll, I'll do will either be something that it's a bit like, you know, you can think of A-sides and B-sides. These are sort of probably smaller projects that have never been in a book. So maybe I'll yep. do a, a, a collection of them. Yep. And, and then it just come around to this idea of thinking, uh, it, I almost feel like I'm at a point where it's a good time just to do some kind of kind of retrospective if you like and that sounds rather pompous i feel but yeah. um 
but I'm, I'm not going to do it next year because I just think that um, as much as everybody might like my work, I think they they probably don't want to buy a book of, book from me every year. And I'd like to sit on it and think about it now and just yeah. write the, write the text properly because with the first book I did, The Art of Adventure, it had like 40 images with 40 uh, descriptions, text. And, yes. and every yeah. other book since then has just been a monograph. It's just been collections of nice, nice hopefully nice pictures. Yeah. Um, but with the retrospective, I'd like to do something that's somewhere in the middle so that yeah. you get um, maybe Darren and myself toyed with the idea of doing two retrospectives, so the retrospective one or retrospective two. But, well, I'll see. It's just that I've got so much material and I thought, well, I could maybe sort of have about, in one book, you could maybe have about eight chapters where each chapter you get four or five images per place that you've gone to yes. yep. with Both a days. lot of with a lot of text, Takes. with the background, the background of why I went there, yep. what it was like to be there, yep. why I shot what I shot, um, experiences about being there. Yep. Um, so, so they're kind of like, it's a collection of mini books. That's an idea. Maybe I, maybe I should call it something like that, mini books. Yep. But a, a collection of mini books in a, in a book. Yeah. And so then that allows me to sort of print some of the, the things that, you know, where um, I've maybe got like three or four images that, are really nice, but I've never had enough material to do a book alone in that area. Yes. Um. So, so, th so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment, and I just think I need time to think about it. Yeah. And certainly, in terms of, there's only really one other place at the moment that I'm still keen to keep going back to at the moment to work on for a book, and that's yep. Lensois Maranhensis in Brazil. Right. Yeah. And I don't. I don't foresee myself going back to Brazil anytime soon. I'd, I'd like yeah. to think I will. Um, so at the moment, that that book might be some time away. And I don't yeah. want to rush these things now. I just think that I've done enough books at the moment. I'd yeah. much rather just sit and, and think about think about the retrospective, think about doing it properly. Yeah. Um, and maybe there will be two. So that the first one might be um, trying to do all the sort of obvious things that people are hopefully, if they know what I do or they follow my work. So that's basically you and my mum. Uh, uh, you know, if there's if there's if there's enough people out there that follow what I do, an addition of two, that's fine. Well, an, a, a, in addition of two, then um, that's what the first bit would be, and then maybe if we do a second one, it will try and fill in all the other bits that that haven't been Little covered. Yeah, yeah, or or I might mix a bit of both of them. I'm not sure yet. So yeah. that's what I've been talking about this summer, um, but I've been deliberately holding off writing anything about it, and I yeah. think it's I have this great belief now that. Um, sometimes when you just let something just float in space where you don't complete it and you don't actually begin work on it, um, it just maybe the, the concept or something just becomes a bit more clarified over time. Yeah, yeah. And I th and that's what I want to do about this retrospective idea. If I'm if I'm going to do one, I might end up doing something completely altogether different or never yeah. publish another book at all. But um, I think that's what I, that's where I'm at the moment. Yeah, it, and it's it, I suppose getting back to the, the the physical physical elements of the of uh, the sound of snow again. It's it's been beautifully beautifully printed. I think I've got the the stand the standard edition. Um, but again, it's just lovely attention to detail, lovely end papers, really nice quality, really really good size of book as well. Um, and all in all, just yeah, again another solid production following on from Halendi last year, which. It it's very interesting talking about the, you know, just even like the, the physical attributes of a book because we've tried a few other things in the past because, yeah. for example, there's a lot of 
practical things that a lot of people don't even consider when they're actually publishing a book is shipping weight, the yeah. size of it, or even to hold the book. Is it going to be comfortable to hold it? Yeah. And uh, like when I did Color Chrome, that was originally going to be a pamphlet for the little exhibition I was running in Edinburgh. I just said yep. to Darren, I'd like to have some sort of mini book that people could buy and it'd be very cheap to print. Yep. And over the two days at his house, it moved from being a, a sort of mini book to this kind of, um, well, it's the is it color plan? Is that the technology? Yes, yeah, color color plans paper. Mm. So yeah. it was color plan, and uh, it was fairly inexpensive to do, comparatively speaking, to hardback because I'd yep. really gone off hardbacks because the first two books we did were hardbacks and they were phenomenally expensive to do. Yeah. And the other problem you get is that you'll find that most printers will only want to do a minimum, an absolute minimum of a thousand copies. Yeah. And a thousand doesn't sound like a lot until they turn up at your front door. <laughs> and and then when you're five years later, you've still got you 600, cop, 600 copies of them in your attic. <laughs> then, you know, you start realizing from then on that if you publish a book, you only want to do about 300 copies. Yeah. And it's something that Neil McElroy from Beyond Words said that to me years ago. Yeah. Even before I published a book, he said to me, Oh, most photographers, they should only really print a book up to an edition size of about somewhere between three and 500 copies. Yeah. And that's kind of where we are now because we yeah. find that when we advertise it, most of those will get sold out in the last two or three, in the first two or three months. And it, and then the, the interest in sales just falls right off radically, drastically to the point that you're actually lucky if you sell one copy a month. Yeah. So, so yeah. this idea of printing a thousand. So um, where was I going with this? Uh, yeah, so I, I was at Darren's and I was thinking about doing this little exhibition book. And then before he knew it, the colour plan book, he worked out that it would be a fairly inexpensive book to do. And there, would no, there wouldn't be any limit on, wouldn't be an upper limit on the, the on the order size so that, you know, yeah. that, we, that we, could, we could do a small number. Yeah. So we did that and I really liked it. Yeah. And but then I started getting lots of emails from people saying, "When are you going to do another hardback?" <laughs> and and it, and it was also very apparent to me that's that you realise your audience don't really understand the dynamics or the economics of making a book because some yeah. of them are saying to me, "It would be great if you could publish it in two formats, hardback and softback." Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, that's just not going to happen. It's just it's yeah. going to be one or the other. Yeah. And uh, so I think we've gone through a bit of a shape shifting thing over. The color plan was sorry. The color chrome was quite small. Yeah. Then we went to Altiplano, which was like a softback color plan version, but but large. Yes. Yeah. And then we just went back to hardback. Yeah. And now we're back at hardback. I'm thinking, well, I think we're just going to stick with it. Uh, uh, part of it as well was the confidence of actually publishing a hardback because I was I've always been worried that people won't might not be able to afford the book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you know. How can I describe this? It's uh, You might get everybody else telling you that they buy the book, but just because it's your book, you just don't believe them. You think, yeah, you know, I, I know, for example, if there's certain photographers I like, that if they publish the book, I just buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah, but, absolutely. But, I, but I, I find it very hard to be very realistic or... About your uh, work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. To, to try and understand exactly what my, what my, what my level of demand might be. Yeah. And so... Every time that we would put, I was, I would always be saying to Darren, it's, it can't be more than £30 a book. Yeah. And now we're up at £60 a book and yeah. the book sells and it's the same price as we sold last year for Hal Endy. 
And it's Hallandy sold out last year. So now I've got that confidence of understanding, yes, I can do a hard back every year if, if I want to. Yep. And I know that people will accept the price of 30, 60 pounds for the book. Yes. Yep. So, so that's, that's, that's a critically important thing for me now that I know that I, I can do a hard back when I want to and not worry about having to try and cut corners in any way. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I have learned though, is that there's, there's that two, two kilogram limit thing with um, postage. shipping. Yeah. Postage. As soon as you go over the two, it just gets into silly prices, which is both last books were over two kilograms. The heart, well, the slipcase editions were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that, that becomes a, a physical constraint and then you know you get somebody in australia writing to you and saying you know the book costs 60 pounds but it's going to cost me 50 pounds to get it shipped yeah and you're saying that's because i'm shipping you a brick yeah you know it's it's and the thing is that that's often the case i've i've looked at a couple of books from america recently and it's like 70 dollars for the book and 65 dollars for shipping And, And and it's hard it's hard but you know what i reckon if you really want the book you just buy it anyway Yes. If you really want it. And I think I've just had this theory for the last 10 years. When Usually when somebody tells me that something's expensive, what they're really just saying to me is, it's, I'm not really in the market for whatever it is, you know, whether it's a Dyson yeah. Hoover. Yes. Which they are very expensive. But, you know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, there's no upper limit for anything you can buy. So usually for me every year when you're trying to put a book together, you're trying to figure out about what is your audience happy to pay for yeah and um the, the other thing about it is this and it's a basic fact is that just selling a standard edition on, on its own um you're, you're probably going to be lucky to break even yeah so so the idea of coming up with these deluxe editions where people pay because you put a nice print inside it yeah and uh, you give them a nicer cover or maybe a slipcase on it yeah and you charge a premium for it that's where it allows you to p- make this whole project become viable yes yeah yeah so Anybody that follows me and likes buying my books, just that was a wee bit of a hint there. If you want to keep seeing books for me, it's been it'd be great if people could um, think about buying some of the deluxe editions occasionally because they are the things that probably make it worthwhile trying to make yeah. sure this thing doesn't become like a um, a bottomless pit of debt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've been lucky so far. We have we actually haven't we actually haven't been in that situation, but yeah. Um, we've certainly been in situations where we thought, well, it's been an awful lot of work and there's been very little return off, off it. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I don't really mind that, to be honest. I mean, I just want to do the book anyway. Yeah. Um, but certainly in terms of everything that somebody buys, the deluxe edition or something of the book, you just know that you're getting closer to that break-even mark but, sooner. Yeah, yeah. I, you know? yeah absolutely. I, I can fully appreciate that. And um, yeah, you, you see it all the time when new books are released now from from the vast majority there's always the standard edition and then special print editions and well, so, special, special editions etc and so the, the other thing i was going to cover with you and i was wanting your thoughts on this because um you know as a book collector um, yeah. there's certain books that raise value quite highly um, but I remember reading this article in the Guardian years ago where they said that really, if you're going to start collecting books, is you really want to focus on the the lesser known photographers, you know, going and buying the the limited edition Ad- Ansel Adams at 100, which I have yeah. at home, uh, isn't isn't going to be a great investment compared to buying a book from somebody that you didn't know that in 10 or 20 years time is going to end up becoming 
you know, well, no, group, yeah, well, yeah. So there's that aspect of it, and I'm getting a bit old in the tooth now to become the the latest and greatest in the next 10, 20 years. But I suppose it's just you don't really quite know where where history takes all of us. Yeah. And uh, I've been aware that when I've been publishing these books, we only we do a small print on a 300. Yep. And I like to look at them as projects that they're they're timed, they're timely, they're they're uh, you know the 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 work has been the work is still fairly recent when I publish them. Yes. Yep. So you wouldn't see me print a book on Hokkaido in ten years' time, perhaps, because by that time I'm doing I'm moved on to other things. Yeah. Um. So when these books come out, they're usually very kind of um relative rel- relevant to where I am at that that moment. Yep. And so I keep thinking that if I was if I were buying my books, I would be collecting them with a the print in the envelope in the slipcase, and not framing the print. But I've been it's been quite I've been quite intrigued to find out that a lot of the buyers are actually buying them, taking the print out of the envelope and putting the print in a frame. Yeah. And so that means that whoever's not done that, and if I just so happen to actually still be remembered in 30 years' time or something, yeah, you might you might be sitting on a book that's got some kind of value to it, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think there po- I think there possibly is. It's I think some people will will buy them and yeah they'll want to look at they'll want to look at the work on the wall um i think there's probably always ways in which you can you can probably frame well, it's it just with... it's just that every time that i've bought any book I, any all the limited edition books i've got they're still on the you know with the slip the, the if they come with like the paul wakefield one i've got yeah and the ansel adams one at 100 um they're still there with the original print intact inside the yeah you know to me it's like the complete item yeah you, yeah you're 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 buying you're buying a package they are you're buying a concept yeah you're buying a concept and mm. an idea um I, I i personally don't buy too many special editions um primarily from the fact that um it allows me to support more artists and photographers um that yeah that, that's that, an interesting that, point that, i'm that, i'm, that, I'm that, actually very a, surprised that's, that. a, that's a person that's a personal that's a personal choice no that's great that's great i'm very surprised somehow i just assumed that like that massive bookshelf in the behind you which yeah. probably go probably you probably have ladders to get to the top of yeah um yeah. certainly set uh, steps anyway yes I, I i i was thinking that you probably ha- did have a lot of very special editions in there but that's I, kind I, of I, nice I, to I, know. I, there's yeah there's there's now yeah now i would say it's uh yeah kind of i suppose a lot of my approaches that it, it depends, it varies and it depends for me, but particularly buying special edition prints and things, if I was to buy some of the print, um, I really, really got to like the print to want to, 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 to buy it. And I kind of take, I kind of have taken the view for a while that it, it all depends on economics and, and who, who it's investing in, but it could allow me to invest and support three or four other photographers or, three or four other artists um well it's an interesting point about the you've got to really love the print i agree with that yeah and um, and, and there's been instances where i've i've someone has someone has brought out a book with a special edition and it's maybe someone who'd have considered buying a special edition of and it's a choice of say four prints as an argument sake and if i don't like any four of them i'm at that at that point, I've 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 switched off instantly from considering it. If, yeah, if, that's if, uh, that, so, that that yeah that that's a tricky one for the photographer as well because if yeah. they sort of like wrap up um, 
you know, if Ansel Adams was still alive and he was, he published a book and he decided to to include Moonrise over Hernandez. Yeah. And you got the book for a hundred pounds. You know, it's certainly from his point of view. I I would understand being in his shoes. Yeah. That he'd he'd be feeling he's giving away some of his golden absolutely eggs for yep. nothing. Yeah. So in some respects, he's probably some of them are going to probably offer some of the less favorite shots. Yeah. Um. In. It, in the book, whatever. And that, that's been a very tricky one for me as well. I've I yeah. found that like in every book, usually there's one or two what images that I know that for me, they're kind of very representative of what I do. Yeah. And I've included them in, because I know that they'll sell the book. Yes. And yet at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, man, it's just, you're kind of giving away something a little yeah. bit. And, I, I, and I, I, can, I can totally, un- I can totally understand the, the position. Um, so yeah, so from my perspective, it's, yeah, there, it's a lot of a lot of the books that uh, I buy, and I, and yeah, I do buy some special editions. But I'm I'm always keen to try and explore new photographers and come across new names. And from a, a collector's point of view, um, it's it's yeah, it's looking. It's okay. I've got I've got all of your books. Um, so well, but that's I, nice to know though, because like uh, when I saw you last, you were that there was that lovely Japan book that I've actually got. I bought it. Just oh, because you, you, yeah, you yeah. came round, and you showed me it. Yeah, the the street, the roadside lights photography. Yes, one. yeah, beautiful. it was fantastic, and um, but I had to have it the same cover that you showed me. Yeah, there were like four different editions of it, and there I thought was, I, I, yes. I've got yeah. to get that one, the one with the winter scene. Yeah, yeah, and it was very personal. The reason why I really liked that book so much was because it was very personal. Because it's so funny when when you only go to japan in the winter time you start to think it's always like that yeah. and the weird thing about it is every time you go around japan they've got these for anybody who doesn't hasn't been to japan they've got you know during the summer it's really quite warm there and so they've got these drinks machines placed everywhere that yeah. you can buy even hot coffee from you can buy a hot meal from them from some of them yeah i've seen that i've seen that but uh in that book, he's yep. photographed these drinking vending machines and like with all these the snow blizzards going on around them and stuff like that. Yeah. And and that's that's the Japan I see when I'm there. So yeah. um, you know, you think it's incredible that they've got like, you know, you a freezing Coca-Cola um in the middle ice of cold like in, in the middle of some snow scene in Japan. And and he just he 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 just caught that so well. Yeah. And there's something slightly humorous about that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but and also it just reminded me of being there. It was a bit like you know when I sent you the the train jingles. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I put them on, I was back there. Back, you know? yeah, back, back, back in Japan, and yeah, and and so I suppose from my perspective, books. Uh, yeah, it's, it's supporting different photographers, but it's it's a it's a it's a collection of books. So it's when it's like when I'm collecting books, I'm not looking at. Uh, yes, you're looking at individual photographers or groups of photographers, or whatever. But it's it's looking at a whole collection as as one in terms of how does that fit in with everything else that you've got that then all blends together and works together. Well, that's that's a nice idea. That's a good idea actually as well. I remember Neil McElwraith has, um, you know, on his Beyond Words uh, yeah. newsletter, occasionally he's selling somebody's book collection for them. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you can get a sense of the person by just looking at the book collection. 
Yeah, it's always quite interesting to have a look down here when he publishes the second-hand book list. It can be quite dangerous at times, but it's always interesting just to see the list of names and you can, you can begin to see how some of them might work together yeah. and, and balance off together. It's a bit like a record collection, I suppose. Yeah, like that. A, a, absolutely. That's the mm. thing. And it's like the the they all complement and all and all support each other. And it's as well as books of of huge big bundles of zines and stuff like that as well, because I think they're they can be enormously uh, it, it, interesting to look through as well. And and it, it gives it gives people who are maybe starting out or who who don't have necessarily a big following or or who just want to self-publish a small body of work and you see some great creations of different different techniques mm. and but then there's also the personal connection in terms of yes i suppose so city photography or street city urban state photography and um, a, a lot of it that if there's a connection to a place new york japan places like that there was a book i bought uh, quite recently which was uh, it was photographing down between between houses and buildings in in japan and it was just phenomenal because it reminded me of just walking down the wee narrow alleyways seeing down these tiny wee gaps that you can barely fit down between well, i didn't know there was a book about that but that's uh yeah <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's all these is all bringing back memories and connections to places and things like that as well mm. which which i which i always find interesting to so yeah i, I I like buying a lot of Japanese books because I it's like, funny. I like it's, Japan uh, as well. That's... Yeah. So, so like, you know, photography is not really just about taking beautiful pictures, but I mean, I got into photography purely because I want to travel and yep. it, it was, it took me a while before I realized it inversed itself. I was now traveling to take photographs, Yeah. but there's always that thing in the back of it where you're building up this kind of a relationship with these places you go to. And I, I've been saying to people lately that I actually, I know Reykjavik more than I know Glasgow. Yeah. And there's, you know, I, I probably know Iceland more than some, some other, some other parts of Britain. Yeah. And when, in the last 18 months, when this whole thing happened, you know, with the COVID thing, uh, I was very aware of the relationships I've got with all these different landscapes that I go to. They're, they're yeah. part of me now. Yeah. And, uh, you can get that there's an emotional response when you look at pictures. It's not just an emotional response about how beautiful or how emotive or artistic the picture is, but just from a personal point of view about what it was like to be there, or maybe you can relate to it because you know the vending machines in Japan totally relate to that. The yeah. amount of nights that I've been walking along in Japan somewhere with a snow blizzard and there's like a, a lit up vending machine. That's it. You know, yeah. and it is uh, ju it's just poking out from snow surrounding surrounding the, the whole whole of the machine yeah. and and it is and that that book in particular I think just the it's an interesting thing for me because I thought the book was beautiful in its own. I probably yeah. and but I do think the only reason why the thing that tipped me over the edge perhaps to buy it was the personal. Connection. connection yeah because when i looked at it i put a big grin on my face i was sitting yeah. there going yeah this is the japan i know that's that's it and i, th I think for for so much it is the personal connection um and i think it's the same when people put pictures in the wall there's there's often quite a personal connection to mm. that and i think there can be with with books as well um and it is it's, it's what we all relate to it's stories and tales that we know from the past and our own personal experiences that mm. that you you think well actually i can sit and grab a book off the shelf that reminds you of x y and z and um, transports you back or or oh, inspires totally. you. I, I, also for me um 
I, I think I said this to you, maybe, I don't know if we were talking to Darren about this, but uh, um, it's very hard to, you you know, as a photo, photographer or whatever you want to call me, um, to maintain your enthusiasm constantly 24-7 for 10 years. Yep. And in the last 10 years, I've had periods where I was, I felt personally I was maybe reaching a burnout or needed to take some time off. Yep. Wanted to distance myself from it for a while. And, uh, you know, sometimes when that happened, I would just go and dig out some of the photographic books that I first got into. Yep. And it was a bit like rediscovering myself. It was a bit like, oh, yes, this, this is why I got into this. Yeah. And so like uh, Gil and Rell's Mountain Light, for example, is that's one of my classics. Yep. Uh, um, Joe Cornish's First Light, for example, if I dig those ones out there, they're who I was 20 years ago or a bit more than that when I started getting a bit, get really into going out there, using up on my weekends to go and take photographs. Yep. And uh, and I actually, the other thing that Neil's, Neil, Neil McElroy said to me that very rarely do photographers buy work that resonates with their own work. And I think yeah. that's true for me too. Yep. Because I actually tend to buy a lot of reportage stuff. So I've got a lot of Magnum. Yep stuff here and i really like a lot of the magnum uh, photographers uh, uh ellie ervit is a personal favorite yeah and um there's something i think when i got into the photograph photography 20 years ago it was uh i really liked although i didn't shoot black and white i really liked all there was something quite timeless about it yeah so for me i found that sometimes uh just going back and looking at it's a bit like digging out that old vinyl album that you had when you were 15 Yes. Yep. It's exactly the same difference. You put up, you you open up the book, look at it, and it's almost you're just transported back to who you were yeah. at that time when you bought the book. Um. So so that that that's important to me too. I, I think when when I when I look through my own meager photography book collection compared <laughs> to your one, <laughs> um, you know so. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's all good. At all for for me, it's it, yeah. It gives it it gives great enjoyment and great pleasure, and it's like mm-hmm. I, 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 I look to to buy and add to the collection, and it's a it's a collection that represents me and my interests, and and yeah, I pick up the occasional special edition. Sometimes you pick it up because it's the only one available. Well, it's quite intriguing because I I would say that the books that you came through when you yep. came through to Edinburgh about a month or so ago, yeah, um, some of them I. I did get a sense of like what your tastes were like, but it's probably a narrow sense yep. of what your tastes are like. So I have to come through and plunder your bookshelf something because I did that with Neil and Beyond Words. I went through to yeah. his house one because I know him quite well. And yep. and he had, when he was running his bookshop from his own house, he had a little box room and it was just like an Aladdin's cave. You could just get lost in there, you know? Yeah. Um. And actually, you know, you've been to his warehouse where he's got all yes, the books. Yeah, it's the same deal. When I go in there, I just I never leave without buying a book. No, I could be the last time I visited him was when it was locked down last November, and I could, thankfully I couldn't go in, so we had to stand outside. Otherwise, <laughs> so otherwise, you saved yourself some money. I, I saved myself a lot of money, I think. <laughs> frankly, I maybe sent sent him in a couple of times to bring books out for me to have a wee look at, but uh, I managed to walk away. Uh, without uh, going bankrupt which uh, which is often the biggest challenge in some of these things because yeah you can you can begin to end up with a lot of books and it's uh, it's taking a sensible approach to mm. um, but then also making sure that you're not missing out in books before they 
sell out out of print and all of a sudden the price is just a price that's not really worth it you can't really consider it you've got to think well it's it's all relative it's just a book at the end of the day and then yes um but but that that's part of what it's all about and it's great to see people publishing books and um i think certainly think over the last 12 months certainly the first six months of lockdown there was a big increase in the number of people who are bringing out books well i would like yes and i would like to hope that those guys that have decided to start doing the books they probably did it probably well i'm not seeing all of them and i don't want to sound like i'm judging judging anyone but i would imagine that over the last if you were if you're a photographer like me you're not running workshops anymore you're trying to think about other ways of actually forming an income and publishing a book is one of them um, but I would love to think that now they've done it, maybe they'd never cut their teeth on making a book before that, but now they've done it, they're going to carry on doing it Yeah. because I do think it's a dying art Yeah. Um, book publishing. And, and it's also, it's also been a bit of personal dismay to me uh, that a lot of keen amateur photographers don't actually buy art photo, photo art books. They'll, they'll yeah. buy a book about, how to learn Photoshop or how yeah. to improve their photography, but buying a book just because it's full of beautiful pictures isn't a common thing for a lot of amateur photographers. No, I'm not saying it's all of them, but it's just that's certainly from my experience. Yeah. I mean, I've actually had people writing to me in the past and saying, I'm not interested in buying the book. I just like to get the PDF yeah, so, so, so they can read the text. And I, I just, as a joke, I wrote back and said, well, you can buy the PDF, it's £40 and it comes with a hardback. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. But I was just joking with them, but it was just more like, um, it, there's this, I mean, even the idea that I, I just find it interesting that a lot of amateur photographers will review other people's work based on a, on a website alone. Yeah. And the thing that I found really fascinating when I started publishing my books was the comments I got from people saying, Oh, there's just so much detail in the in the prints in the book that yeah. aren't evident on the website. And I thought, well, of course, because a website's only like 72 dots per inch. It's yeah, it's a it's a dumbed down, res down version of your of your intention. And and so it's always been a bit of a, a strange thing to me that people are rating people based on on JPEGs rather than actually looking at their work. Yeah. And then there's there's, it, there's something about when you sit down on the sofa and you start browsing through something, you get lost in it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a whole different experience sitting down it is. with a book. But it does seem to be it does seem to be a dying art, you know, for a lot of photographers or a lot of younger photographers, perhaps. There's yeah. the whole idea about everything's on your phone now or whatever. Yeah. And so or maybe I'm just maybe I'm just old now or something but i i do think that there's some there's real beauty and value in this and 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 putting the conceptual idea of the whole if it's comparable to spotify if you think about music now some of the artists now aren't even bothering to do albums anymore yeah because nobody's got the attention span to sit down and walk through a whole album and listen to the whole yeah from start to finish from start to finish and um when i was like in you know, maybe I'm just talking about the good old days here, but when I was younger, I remember <laughs> when you bought an album, when you bought Primal Scream's new album, within about two days, you knew the track name, you knew, you knew the names of the songs. Yes. You knew where it had been recorded. You know all the musicians that were played on it because you'd been studying the cover of it in your bedroom yeah. while you were listening to the album all the way through. Yeah. And so I think that that's what books are a bit like. When you yeah. get the book, you can, 
you think more about the images and you probably even study even just a subtle text at the back about on my book on the latest one that I've done about Hokkaido, we didn't we intentionally didn't put the locations in. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was partly because, um, or mostly because um my guide makes a living from taking people around Hokkaido. Yes. And he'd been saying to me for the last two or three years that a lot of the locations we go to are private land. Yeah. And um, he has to ask a farmer permission before we go in. So his worry was that if you publish the name of a place, that other people want to go there and they're just going to go in there and trash the land, you know, walk in yeah. thinking thinking they can go in and try and get the same photograph. Because there, there, is, there is an element of that out there. Yeah. Um, so there was that. There was also the fact that I felt that, I felt like taking a leaf out of Paul Wakefield's book about in the way that, well, not his book, because in his book he did tell you where where, where the places yep. were. But I wrote to Paul years ago, and I recognize, I recognize one of his locations on his website, and I just said, I think this this photograph is Torres del Paine National Park in Patagonia, Paul, but I can't figure out where you've taken this from. Can you, can you let me, because there were these interesting rock formations, these kind of, um, I think they're either calcium or something, they're called trombolites or something. Okay. Uh, really strange geology shapes at the edge of this lake. I've never seen, and it's not actually not technically in the National Park. Well, he never actually answered the question. He said to me, don't you think it's much more interesting when you don't know where? Yeah. And he's absolutely right. There's something yeah. much more enigmatic about a photograph when somebody doesn't tell you why you should like it. Yeah. Um, similarly, like with a film, somebody at the end trying to explain the plot to you and why they did, why the actors did what they did yeah. is a bit, I love films where it's much more down to you're just left to interpret what you think yeah. happened. So, um, so with the new book, there's no titles in it. And I think that's, that adds that whole thing about you kind of conjuring up your own idea of what you think happened and how I yeah. made those shots. Yeah. And then if you're trying to gleam any information from that book, it's just at the very end of it, it says, um, it talks about the concept and Darren's name is mentioned. Yeah. Uh, I think he's mentioned first. <laughs> so, you, so, so you could read something into that, you know, yes, so yep. less is more, you know, less is more. Yeah. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that you want people to think about. You want them to, to wonder when they, look, when they walk through the book, you want them to wonder. Yeah. Make, you know. make their own, come to their own conclusion, make them think for themselves and mm. you give them a bit, but you don't give them everything. And I, th I think, yeah, I always think that's, that's a wonderful way to do it. And, leave them wanting more, leave them thinking for themselves as opposed to telling everyone the full answer. And yeah, yes, what, definitely. Whatever everything's about, you give them a bit and you let them make their own mind up and come to their own interpretation and their own thought process. And it's how everyone, I think, develops and everyone can take something from it and, and, and improve their own work if they're a photographer or, or, or whatever that may be. Um, yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's kind of my, my thought, my thoughts on it, but, um, uh, but no, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, obviously we when we talked with Darren back in December, I think it was in December, we had a we had a, we had a few of your favourite photo books. Are, are, are there any other are there any other photographers' books you'd like to th throw into the mix? That uh... yeah, well, um, I mean, I like I like I, yes, I like photography books and I like art books. And yep. uh, so when you asked me earlier on about this. Uh, the, I'm going to just be slightly uh, awkward here because I'm going to talk about uh, Gerhard Richter's book, Landscapes. Yep. And um, he's really a painter. You know, anybody who knows about Gerhard Richter, he's quite a, 
an amazing painter, yep. uh, sort of modernist painter. But in this book, it's incredible because you would swear that these are photographs yep. and they're actually paintings. And that's just what I love about it. And then sometimes you feel that he's doing a double trick on you of um, painting an image to look like a painting trying to look like a photograph. I know that sounds a bit overly contrived, but it I can't put it more than that. They sometimes you know it looks like a it looks like a photograph. And other times it looks like it's 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 a photograph trying to look like a painting is what I'm trying yep. to say. Yeah. It's there's something something very intriguing about it. And last time you talked to me, I I, I can't remember, was it Love Point by Watanabe that I talked to you about? Uh, that could have been one of them, I think. We maybe mentioned. Is it Hiromi Watanabe? Love Point, and Love Point's a, a really compelling book to what to look at because he's got he's gotten um, he's gotten mannequins and he's made them up and he's tried to photograph them in certain lighting to make the mannequins look like real girls. Yeah. And then he's also photographed real girls, but he's tried to make them look like mannequins. And there's something quite challenging when you're trying yeah. to walk through a book because you get this instant reaction that you you can't help actually believing that that the girl's real or she's not real yes yeah and and when you get it wrong it's quite disturbing well anyway with the gerhardt with the gerhardt uh, richter landscapes book um it's a bit like that so i did I, I, there was one of the pyramids great pyramids here and it was like it's all it looks like it's been deliberately taken out of focus and I was going to show you, not that anybody else can see on the podcast, but um, I'll see if I can dig it out again. There we go. Found it. Right. So uh, you can have a look at that. Cool. Let's see. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. Yes. Right. So okay. um, now, see, your audience are now very, very intrigued. They're all going, oh, I have to go and look at that. Yeah, I know right. that. Right. But it, but it is. It's worth. It's really worth getting. And uh, I thought it's an amazing book. And, yeah. And, but, you know, as a photographer, I, I think I have my, my roots not just in photography but also in art and yeah. i come from an art background anyway in the way that you know I was, ooh, um sorry that's part of my furniture falling to bits in my room it's part of my um daylight viewing booth for my photographs um you know i started off very much drawing and painting when i was a when i was a kid and i think yeah. that's why i've moved into photography and photography is another way of drawing and painting yeah if you yeah. like and uh so so that's why gerhard richter's book uh, I felt like mentioning that, and just to be completely, completely off tangent and just go off randomly to something else, I've got a bunch of books in my bookshelf, and um, one person that doesn't really get talked about very much, I don't think, is Peter Dombrovskis, um, who's an, who was an Australian photographer. I know that he's, um, or I know that Joe Cornish is a big fan of Peter's work, yep. and. Um, I went to Tasmania about eight years ago and I just found it an incredibly difficult place to photograph. It's so complex, texturally rich, very diverse, beautiful place, but personally for me, very hard to photograph. But I love Peter Dombrowski's work and to, to some degree, he always feels to me that when I look at his work that I'm looking at the Ansel Adams of Australia. Um. And he certainly seems to have that kind of aura about him when you talk to other uh, Australian photographers. They, they seem to really rate him that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll tell you a wee story about that. I went to I went to meet Chris Bell, who 
is either a colleague or a prodigy of Peter's. Uh, I think he was a colleague of Peter's. And Chris had a little exhibition in in um, Hobart. Is that the capital of Tasmania? Hobart. In Hobart. I went to visit him in Hobart. He was having a book launch. And afterwards, he said to me, come come round to the house for a cup of tea. And I got there, found out that Joe Cornish had been there about six months before me. <laughs> and uh, Peter, Chris Bell um, lived at the very, or still lives at the top of, um, uh, oh, what's it called? Mount uh, Mount Wellington, Mount Wellington in, in yeah. Hobart. Beautiful house, um, looking over, um, a little bit prone to some of the forest fires, unfortunately. But yeah. In the house, he had all these amazing large format prints of his own work. And Chris is a fine photographer in his own right. So the other book I'd recommend by him, uh, the book I'd recommend is uh, Primal Places yep. by Chris Bell. And it's, if you like Joe Cornish's work, then I think you'll love this book. Um, but it's it's of places that you, I guarantee that you've probably never seen before because some of some of these locations in Tasmania, I think you'd really have to get off the beaten track to get to. And you wouldn't even know they were Tasmania. You sometimes you'd look at it and think it's like, you know, it's like the Triangle Towers and in, in it's not Pakistan, but you know, um the Himalayas. No. Yeah, is it K2? Yeah, around that area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's all that sort of stuff and just beautiful. So um it's just when you asked me around today, they were staying right in my face. Like, oh, yeah, these are great books. Yeah. And they're quite old now, but they're definitely worth picking out if you're if you're keen on your landscape photography. Yeah. And uh, definitely, like Tasmania's got a lot to offer. It's just, unfortunately, a place that I can't, I find it very hard to work with. And I also think I need to live there. Because yeah. the thing that became quite apparent to me was that Peter Dombrovskis and also Chris mm-hmm. Bell it well, none of these pictures were taken at the roadside they were all major hikes in somewhere yeah you need to, you um, need to know where you're going yes you do and that was the important i mean i loved it i mean i thought it was amazing i saw lots of things there i saw a duck pool platypus i saw oh, yeah. loads of tasmanian devils cool um, good. um echidnas and also wombats it's my favorite animal wombat right. mm. yeah interesting but uh yeah so so they're, they're the books i've mentioned uh, yep. at the moment just yeah, randomly good. but uh yes and probably i think the gerhard richter one it reminds me a little bit of um oh what's his name you know the formula one shots um did the rhine picture um yeah. oh talked to him about them last week oh god you know uh gersky gersky yes. andreas yeah. gersky it's kind of in that sort of ballpark i yeah. think and you know, Andreas Gursky to me, I think his photography and everything is just a way off on another level. Conceptually speaking, it's just yeah. I think it's I think it's just the man's just an absolute genius personally. But yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's the ones I would recommend. Just Very now. good. Uh, another lovely selection. Always interesting to hear some new names. I think for people who you who people haven't come across before um, from different areas in the world, as opposed to seeing the same same photographs mm. time and time again so um so what what are your what are your plans for the the future are there any locations that you would like to go and photograph have you ever have you ever got a desire to photograph the rest of japan or other parts in japan as opposed to just strictly Hokkaido? Uh, or? oh you know if you'd asked me that a year ago i would have said yes at the moment um it's kind of just at the moment it's gone off the radar a little bit yeah um, yeah i'm now coming back to this idea that maybe maybe the way that the way that things have just 
changed. changed and moved around is that I've been forced into coming back and reviewing my own local homeland, Scotland. Yes, yeah. And so for the last two or three weeks now, it's particularly when I did the workshop last week, mm-hmm. I, was in, I was in a Scottish island with a group of people. Um, somehow I just feel like, yeah, I think I think this is probably what I'm going to be doing you know, the next three or four years now is focusing yep. on Scotland a bit more. Yeah. Um, interesting one, because I often thought for a long time that Scotland's actually a very, very complicated landscape, but maybe I'm ready for it now. Maybe I, maybe I know what to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. So that so that's one thought thing that's going to my mind. But I was actually hatching plans tonight with a friend of mine from South Korea about heading out to South Korea again for yep. December. Very nice. Um, because I went there. He's a friend of mine. He came on one of my workshops. I got on really well with him. And this often happens to me. I usually get invites, and I I annoy everybody by taking them up on their invite. <laughs> Uh, so I went. I went somewhere, to see him. Somewhere interested. <laughs> so he was. I think he maybe shock at the airport that I'd actually yeah. turned up. But I got there. I got to Seoul, and um, I was only supposed to be there for eight days, which is that's all I was for there for eight days. But in the first day, I pretty much reached the conclusion that I wouldn't. I would get no photographs. Yeah. And uh, even his friends were saying, "Oh, what are you into?" And I showed them my website. He said, "Oh, you won't get any of that here." And when you left, so when you leave Seoul. You don't know you've ever left it because yep. the rest of Korea just feels so urbanized. Yeah. We got all the way out to the boondocks, all the way out to like the coastal area and anything, you know, if it's a path or anything, everything's been manicured to an inch of its life. Yeah. And I remember standing there thinking, I'm just going to enjoy the eight days. It just doesn't matter yep. if I get any photographs. But the weird thing was at the very end of the eight days, he said to me, you kept apologizing. Sorry, I think I've wasted your time. And I said, no, no, I had a great time. It was nice coming anyway. It's good to hang out with them. Yep. And it was nice to see a new place. And you've always got to go somewhere and try and not have this yeah, internal pressure. Yeah. Or even just determine that you're going to get shots. You know, yeah, it, says, it doesn't yep. matter if you don't get them. It's fine. Yep. And I said to him, but you know what? I've actually got 18 rolls of film here that I've shot. And I only ever shoot anything if I find something. Yep. I said, so I think I've got something. And about two weeks later, after I finished editing them, he, I sent them to them. I sent the pictures to him and he said to me, they turned out much better than I anticipated. And I said, I know. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> you know, so, so now I'm just thinking, well, you know, I should just go back. Yeah. Um, a, a slightly funny little story about this. We, we were there and my friend, um, he actually knows uh, three of Michael's guides who... Right takes him round well one of them took us and i felt a lot of the locations we were getting taken to i i couldn't do much with them and about halfway through the trip this guide friend of my friend disappeared and we were left on our own and he didn't know what to do with me but we got we were down at this beach and there's this old lady she was about 80 years old with a hasselblad film camera so he went up to talk to her and the first thing she said to him was do you like michael kenna's work because he's really, really famous in South Korea. Right, he's, yeah. it's, I think it's one of his biggest markets. Right. And right. and so Kiddy was laughing about, laughing about this. And he said to me afterwards, he said, you know, she's, he, he said to me, she gave us a whole pile of places to go to. So for the next three days, we went to these places and her location scouting was amazing. Oh, right. We found all these great places. And I ended up, so I wrote in this email to him tonight and I just said, uh, if I come back this December, can you kidnap the old lady with the Hasselblad camera? And yards did some new locations for us. Yeah, because she was pretty damn good. You know, she was yep. really excellent. 
So that was a joke, you know, obviously we won't kidnap her, but anyway, but um, yeah, so that's what I'm thinking at the moment. And I mean, I'd, I'd like to go back to Brazil and carry on shooting there. And, and I'm still trying to set up a trip there for next summer, our yep. summer. Yep. I don't know if it'll happen, of course. And I think, to be honest, the best thing to do is just not plan things too much and just yeah. and just see what just see what what, for, what 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 the future hands out to you and just run with yeah. it. Excellent. That's all you can do. Indeed, that's it. Well, I think that's all we've been able to do for about the last eighteen months, and I think it will continue it continue into the future. But at least it's uh, we're maybe getting to back to some form of uh, normality, and at least we're being able to get back out and uh, explore some new areas as well, which is always good. But. Uh, on that note, Bruce, i uh, just like to thank you for your time this evening. It's been, uh, as always, a real pleasure to chat to you about your work and your adventures and your, your photography books as well. It's uh, a real pleasure. Thanks very much. Yeah, well, thanks, Ewan. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to me. <laughs> always <laughs> a pleasure. Long. Yeah, No problem at all. Right. Cheers. All right. Cheers.